You know Ryan Reynolds, the guy who one of the guys who was in there, tall, awkward guy. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Can think of that. The whole point of this is that somebody once, actually, multiple people have told me that I look like Ryan Reynolds, or maybe oh. that I don't so much look like him, but sometimes you're awkward like him. I'm tall and awkward <laughs> like him. Thank you, really. That's awesome. Welcome to the house. All right. We're so glad to have you. Uh, uh, now I've lost my, I've totally lost my place <laughs> under under such pressure. No, he, uh, I, yeah. So, uh, who do you, uh, who, what TV shows do you watch right now? Actually, um, I've gotten really into Dollhouse. Yeah, and I, oh, yeah. And I even commented on Kurt's That's little right. thing about it. I was like, woohoo, yeah, Joss Whedon. <laughs> my whole family is obsessed with Joss Whedon. My brother-in-law has like. I live in Sunnydale and Joss Whedon um, onesies for his one-year-old girl (laughs) and like posters of Angel and stuff. It's really out of control. But I think because of the mania, I resist things that there's mania about. Like I haven't, I've yet to see Lord of the Rings because there's too much hype. No, I know. I'm gonna, I'm going to. (laughs) You guys are like, whoa. We're gonna Leave be watching. That's really that you are a hard case. We're yes. gonna be watching all twelve hours of that this week. I told Debbie she says she's gonna be here all week. That, <laughs> we should make a party. You just gonna have to watch. See, all now hours. I can watch them all in sequence. You know, having mm-hmm. waited, I can just do it all. Yeah. At once. Right. So you're doing yourself a favor. Yes. Yes. But you got to do the director's cut, you know, because it's sort of like you had a debt. Now you got to pay with interest and watch that you extra need the hour, extra yeah. hour yeah. per episode. I'll put in that time. I mean, I'm not like after everybody really really trying to get me into Joss Whedon I watched one episode I didn't start from the beginning because it was the same thing I was like oh new Joss and I happened to be at my aunt's house when she was watching it and she was like I'm sorry but I have to watch Joss or Dollhouse and I think it was totally intentional like that it was planned that way and yeah within like 20 minutes I was like this is the best show ever and I watched like all the first couple episodes and I'm also a lost freak Lost is one of those shows for me, though. I can't watch it when it airs. I have to watch it when the season is over, and I know that I will be able to watch consecutively. Consecutively, I have to watch twenty-four straight hours, and mm-hmm. and the uh, the other one like that, twenty-four. Ironically yeah. enough, I get he it. does that too. I mean, he will actually watch an entire series in like the space of well, two days. There was a there was a time <laughs> in my life this year that I actually watched an entire oeuvre. Uh, <laughs> I watched. Every single episode of every Star Trek series. I'm so glad we have this on tape. Wow. I know. Is that unfortunate? Let me tell you about this. Black we calculated it once. We calculated it once, and I still haven't told my wife. 22 consecutive days, 24 hours a day. That's what it would have meant. Almost one twelfth of a year. Wow. Is that awful? Why would somebody do that? No, I know. When I really, I mean, the thing is, I love getting into shows because yeah. you like attached to the characters and but then sometimes i'm like god so much wasted time mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. like I mean, I why think couldn't like... i have had that feeling before i started my 22 straight day mm. well, i didn't I, you know over a year i, I was watched thinking like a month you know what if i were actually trying to song write you know for a month for yeah a month, what, you know you might get half a song out <laughs> <laughs> uh, what well, you said earlier about like you know it seems like i keep putting it putting stuff it hasn't felt like that to me at all really know? oh it's, it feels just been oh so you're an slow. inspiration i mean granted oh, we're you. only connected on facebook before <laughs> today but i'm always like there's kurt again with something you know you just you're all, you're getting yourself out there so mm. that's really impressive yes 
Look at that. That's so, she's so nice. <laughs> she's so nice. Can I? We're talking. This is acoustic conversations, by the way. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that was. Uh, that was. It sounded the like it was like talking about what's on television. I know, today. seriously, and we can totally go it's back like there. E. I loved all that. <laughs> no, uh, it's acoustic conversations. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm sitting here on the uh, the red couch of Chateau AC Convo with uh, Kurt Sifford. Hello. Hello. Uh, and today uh, we have our, our special guest. Is the really really nice uh, Lisa Forkish? <laughs> ah. Really, do people tell you you're a, you're a nice person? Yeah, I mean, I don't usually get I'm a mean person. Well, that's probably good. Yeah, they don't only really say the behind your I, back, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, usually people only compliment me to my face. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, they they compliment. I think they're complimenting you online too. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, there's a quote about you uh, I, that I think is in your bio, and mm. I wanted to talk to you about it because it seems like it could be either really nice and sensitive or really horrifying yeah um, okay lisa forkish has a heart in her mouth <laughs> that um actually a, a very dear friend of mine uh i had my first show in portland a year from this past january so it was like January 2nd, 2008. And um, it was a, I was at Mississippi Pizza Pub, and it was a full house. And I'd been playing in Boston at bars to crowds of maybe five, and they had their eye on the Red Sox <laughs> game. You know, it was like very, very encouraging after what I had experienced. And, um, and I was like, wow, I'm going to move to Portland. <laughs> this is so awesome. And um, we went out to a bar on Mississippi afterwards, and a good friend of mine was talking to me and he was he just went on this rant about my performance and how moved he was and I hadn't received this kind of a response from a peer yet I mean my my family and my I've noticed my demographic is kind of older like my mom's generation really like my music reaching my peers has been, I don't know I don't know what it is I'm like an old soul oh, and I totally need to talk more about that <laughs> It's this weird thing I'm grappling with recently. I'm not hip, you know. <laughs> but anyways, um, he was talking to me and he's like, yeah, it was just like you. It was like you're singing. And I just thought to myself, her heart is totally in her mouth right now. And I was like, whoa. And at first, I mean, I took it as a compliment right away. I mean, just because I figured, um, you know, emoting is a good yeah. thing. And um, the fact that. My, you know, my music is pretty um, personal. It's very intimate, and um, it's not really background music. It's kind of the type of thing that I like to have people close to me when they're listening to it and um, paying attention, <laughs> as we all do. Um, but then I thought, that's really unique, and I'm actually going to use that um, in my bios and in the description of my music just because it's uh, an image that is pretty striking but also not one that's used before. It's not a cliche heart. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff with heart that I could say about myself, but you'd be like, oh, heard that before. I was like, heart in mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is... Yeah, it's a great line that you don't want to deconstruct too deeply. No, <laughs> no. Because I think I saw that episode of VR. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, I'm I'm releasing an EP later on this year, and I've decided to title it that. Heart in Mouth. Oh, that's great. No, well, well maybe that. Right now, I'm working with Her Heart in Her Mouth. Oh, okay. Oh. I was thinking but it I could know. make like a good production company name, too. Heart and Mouth Production. Heart yeah. and Mouth Production. Heart and Mouth Songs. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the funny thing is that yesterday, I was chatting with a girlfriend of mine about how... Um, 
I have like stomach problems sometimes when I'm um, when I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Did she I, ask you if you had your heart in your stomach? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. she was like, I was talking about, I was like, you know, there's a very close connection to my body between my heart and my stomach. It's like anytime my fiance's leaving or something, I always feel sick to my stomach. She's like, your next album should be called <laughs> Her Heart and Her Stomach. <laughs> like, oh, as long as it's not your stomach in your mouth, you will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that would be taking it a little too far. This is fantastic. Come to acoustic conversations. We just write your future. This is fantastic. Yeah. Next is going to be hand and mouth, and then after that, foot and mouth. Foot you got to capture that. Oh, I'm a little bit of that too. Yeah. I've got some good stories about that. Uh, so why uh, why do you think you're uh, why do you think you're not hip with your uh, demo? Uh, you know, it first occurred to me at my last show in Eugene. I played a venue down there called Joe Federigo's. I've been there. It's a good place. It's a cute little jazz club, kind of like an old speakeasy down in the basement and nice ambiance and they've got a beautiful grand. And so I like playing there because it's a jazz club, sort of, but they book other stuff. And that's the venue that I like because I don't work, I don't fit in so much at rock and folk venues. My music is more jazz than anything else or just in the nature of it with the piano and, um, you know, wanting attention on me. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, people that sure. go to your jazz usually sit and listen, you know? Right. Um, but I it got to the second set. It had been sort of a mixed bag for the first set. Took a little break. And, you know, a couple people came up to say goodbye. Sorry, I'm leaving. And a couple people just kind of wandered out. And it got to the second set and I was playing and it was maybe like the third song. And I looked around the room and I was like, everybody in this room is over the age of 45. <laughs> like, and it just, and these were the people, they're staying out past their bedtimes. These are the people who wanted to stay for the whole set. People with well, these people families and kids. Well, these people whose bedtimes is 9.30. Yeah, and they're there at like 10 or, yeah, maybe 10 to 11. And um, it was, yeah, I was like, huh, I wonder what it is about that. How much do you think it is a piano thing? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think that. Well, I don't know why I'm not hip, you know. <laughs> I just don't know why. Oh, we could tell you. No. no, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally open for feedback. But mm-hmm. basically, um, you know, I listen to a lot of music that's current, but I also listen to a lot of music that's not, and probably mostly not. Um, I've, I'm mostly. Um, Joni Mitchell is probably my biggest influence. So if you hear a little bit of her and me, that could be that. But I don't think I sound like her as much as um, I sound like other things. The main, the main feedback that I get about my music is that it sounds like it's from a musical. People are like, this guy in my car, I do ride share down to California, and this guy was like, sounds like a song from Avenue Q. <laughs> I was like, okay. All right, seriously, there could be a lot worse things to say. Is that, I, that I is a great show. I just comment about the... What, is know, it, what do you, how does it hit you when somebody says you sound like you're musical here? Well, you know, for the first couple years, I was like, oh, no. Bitter. I, yeah. For some reason, I wanted to be poppy or something in the first couple years. Oh, this is delicious. This is like, this is like pre-Berkeley. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then I got to Berkeley, and then I wanted to be more jazz because was that was my curriculum, and that was in my body, and that you know the that theory and all that was incorporating itself into my music, 
but it's it's not jazz. I mean, my my fiance is a jazz musician. He's like, the te- definition of jazz is um, improvised music. So as long as no one's taking solos in your songs, it's not jazz. So and that's true, very true. Um, and finally, it was like last summer I met with a music publisher in Portland who was just like I played for him on his grand piano, and he put it nicely, less in a way like. Oh, you sound like musical theater, like in this way that mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how to take. He was like, you sound like you should be under a spotlight at a grand piano at all times when you perform. And I was like, that's such a nicer way to put it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so maybe. And his best advice to me was to give in to the musical theater influence thing and work it. So I've come up with some ways to um, sort of, craft my path in a way that will hopefully um I want to distinguish myself as all artists do and that's that's a way to do it because I don't really know anyone else who's like a you know singer songwriter quote unquote but uh musical theater it's just sort of a it's a weird yeah juxtaposition almost it's like two things that don't usually go together which is why I'm using the term singer composer which was another term that this guy suggested is he said, you're a composer, so you should separate yourself from the masses of singer-songwriters. What, what I don't the, know if I... What is the difference between those two? Well, to me, I like that term because um, without wanting to offend... Um, I am a songwriter, and without wanting to offend what has sort of become a genre in and of itself of singer-songwriters... Singer yeah. yeah, it's like I hear people... I'll say, what kind of music do you play? Oh, it's singer-songwriter. I'm like, that's just a description of what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. not... But it's turned into that. And I, and what usually people describe when they use that is usually guitar, usually kind of open micy, um, more folky, less, you know, without one... I don't want, I don't want to sound elitist about this, but I my songs are very carefully crafted and everything that I do is intentional. So I use a lot, I do a lot of word painting and, and things like that, that um, make me feel more like I'm composing. And um, so I just, I liked that term, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's also just a way to distinguish myself. <laughs> well, I, it's a wonderful way to distinguish yourself. Lisa Forkish, would you please uh, indulge us with a, uh, with a song? I would love to. Wonderful. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to play. Um, I'm going to do a fairly new one. Um, new in the, the world of not being in school and writing a ton. I've probably written five, four or five songs since last May when I left school, whereas all the songs on my album from the year before, all 10 songs were written in that year. So sort of a slower pace, but um, I wrote it in the fall. um, And it's sort of coming from a place of being sad about the season turning. I know a lot of people um, sort of withdraw around autumn time or have some feelings of um, sadness and the leaves turning and things starting to change. And that's always, I think, just coming from my childhood when I knew that summer was over and going back to school was, you know, kind of innate in us in the fall to sort of feel a little bit remorseful maybe. So anyways, this is, it's called Yesterday's Leaves. 
and it's new-ish. <laughs> I've only performed it a few times, so. You watch the season turn And dare to show your back August saw you walk away You walked away Face to face with days gone by Green like summer's grass I'm staring at this precious gray For now it's gonna be gray And they're changing color They're changing style And no one ever stops To grieve They're on their way out I can't stop thinking about them Yesterday's leaves Yesterday's leaves Yesterday's leaves Very nice. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful voice. Thank you. Huh. How? So you you've written five songs. Maybe something or like so. that. Yeah. In 
roughly the same space of time that you wrote 10? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think because um, I was writing freely and creatively when the moment came, and then I had writing assignments for my classes, write a song, you know, a verse refrain song, Mm -hmm. turn it in at midterms. (laughs) So it was, um, you know, and, and some of those were throwaways, but really actually a good chunk. One of the songs on my album was a theory, like a harmony theory project for um, one of my music classes that wasn't even songwriting. And several others were from my songwriting classes (laughs) that ended up on my CD. So that's kind of cool. So we're talking about classes here that were from when you were at uh, Berklee College of Music. Yes. Yeah. I was there from the fall of 2006 until last spring in 2008. And we'll be returning this fall for a brief stint to finish my degree. Very nice. Yeah. So what led you to attend, uh, attend Berkeley? How did that, how did that all come about? Uh, I think I received a brochure from them in high school, something like that. And had had heard of the, the name of the school and, and thought it was a jazz school. Didn't, I mean, it is rooted in jazz and it once was strictly a jazz school. But I saw this brochure, and I was looking at all the t- people who teach voice there, and they toured with Paul Simon and Bonnie Raitt and Bobby McFerrin. I was like, wow, that's so cool. And then I saw they had a songwriting major, and even though I ended up, I didn't end up choosing that major, that was really what drew me there. I was like, whoa. Because from the time I was probably 11, when I first went to Lilith Fair, I was like, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter and mm. be like Sarah McLaughlin and Ani DeFranco and... <laughs> I saw nothing like them, but um, that, that's, that's where it all came from. And so you had, you had been writing consistently then you know, since you were a kid. Yeah, I, I first started writing um, lyrics when I was maybe 11. I was always a very religious journal writer. My, my childhood friends still tease me about the fact that even when they'd come over to spend the night, I'd be like, oh, excuse me, I have to write in my journal. <laughs> <laughs> I had like friends over for you. sleepovers. <laughs> Uh, I never really shared that with anybody, but um, (laughs) uh, I I started writing lyrics and, you know, I'd been singing for a long time and I said to myself, I need an instrument. And my mom played piano and we had a grand piano in my house growing up. So I'm actually self-taught. I just, I played violin, so I knew how to read music and had, you know, musical sense and played in orchestra, orchestras. So I just taught myself to read bass clef and just started sight reading. Like, uh, this is probably where the musical theater influence comes from because we had all these um, musical theater songbooks like Les Mis and um, The Fantastics, all these random oh, yeah. musical books. So I was just sight reading the accompaniment. So I'm actually quite a good reader because that's how I started. I didn't start with scales or technique or anything. Um so I'm not good at that stuff. <laughs> um, but I started doing that. My mom gave me a couple lessons, but that was problematic, taking lessons from your own mother. Oh, yeah. And I ended up taking some um, lessons with a professional, but we didn't really work technique. She just taught me how to read chord symbols and sort of how to improvise, play um, to a lead sheet so that I could uh, better accompany myself. And then I you know, wrote my first couple songs on piano and in eighth grade, we had to do, I went to a private school, we had to do a final project, and we were supposed to choose a an occupation, a profession, and go out into that field and do some research to get us thinking about our futures, and I, of course, did music, and I interviewed um, 
Ezra Holbrook, who's now in Portland doing great things. He played drums for the Decemberists and plays for um, Michael Jodell now. And, but he was down in Eugene doing the singer-songwriter thing in an old band called Soul Function and a woman named Catherine Lorish, who goes by Catherine Clare now and is also quite um, vibrant in the Portland scene. She has a group called Circled by Hounds. Um, so it's cool that they're all still successful. This was in 1998. And I... Um, I sat down with them and interviewed them, and for my final project, I performed three songs I had written myself. So I guess I was 13 the first time I did that. Wrote a little bit in high school, but mostly got into um, classical. I started training um, classically and was competing and doing choral stuff, um, which is where um, the the classical sound in my voice came from. And then, um, and then in college. I, I actually went to U of O for a couple years and sang with uh, the women's acapella group down there, Devisi. Oh, sirens. Yeah, we, that's just the uh, <laughs> professional-grade uh, soundproofing that we have in the, uh, in the studio. <laughs> so, uh, okay, you uh, also sang college acapella. Yeah. Did you all- guys And you're too? the one who brought it up. That's the best part. <gasps> yeah. You yeah. guys sang college acapella? Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we have so much to talk about yeah. right there, now. Yeah. There, yes, it's, what groups did you sing with? In the Buff, University of Colorado. Okay. Uh, and yeah. I, I did uh, In the Buff, and before that I was in uh, 36 Madison Avenue in... Um, uh, at Drew University in New okay. Jersey, and um, uh, the uh, claim to fame there is uh, fellow alum James Vanderbeek oh, from Dawson's Creek. Right, I think yeah. I heard a ru- a dirty rumor about him having done college. Yeah, he's a, yeah that have... group. Did you were you ever in the group at the same time as him? No, that's yeah. the, where that's where the rage, the acapella rage comes from. Oh. Yeah. You're like, uh, people that you don't expect it. have been in acapella. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Legend, what's his name? John, John Legend. John Legend. He was yeah. Sarah Borellis. I first Sarah heard Bareilles, of her right. because she was in an acapella group when I was in an acapella group. And we, our two groups, both had a song on the same Boca. Oh, she you were a Boca? Yeah, and it was one of her originals. And then, you know, a couple years later, that song, Gravity, is on the radio. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Wow. It's the acapella nerds. Yeah, yeah. just let Jude. your freak flag fly. That's so, Justin Jude from our last episode, he was also in acapella. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. so many of us. There are. And we're all, we're all closeted. <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys heard notice, about... <laughs> notice we're all playing instruments now. Yeah, we're like, ah, get me out of it. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean... I still have grand plans of starting a, a pro women's group in Portland because oh, wow. there isn't really anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But have you guys heard of the book Pitch Perfect? No. Mm-hmm. You haven't. Do tell. You guys are not on any of the acapella blogs or anything like that. <laughs> we shuddered that part yeah. of our lives, I think, a long time ago. <laughs> well, there was a book recently. Collegiate acapella is becoming way more popular, as you probably know. And this uh, editor, this writer-editor from GQ, who sang in collegiate acapella and then went on to do uh, journalism, he decided to make us famous and wrote a book called Pitch Perfect that's um, uh, out in stores. You can find it pretty much anywhere. It's now in paperback. And they they chose to highlight three groups and one of them was my group. No kidding. And one of, they picked like main characters in the group and I'm one of them. Oh, wow. So I'm oh, really? sort of famous in this weird nerdy acapella. <laughs> wow. Because my group, we went to nationals and we placed yeah. second. So that was sort of why they followed us is women's groups don't usually do that well. No, they so don't. So they wanted to <laughs> find no. out what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And 
So that's, I mean, actually, that's why it took me a few years to go to Berkeley. I had applied my senior year of high school, but I also got into the collegiate women's group at U of O my senior year. They let me be in it if I took yoga or something at the school. <laughs> They're like, you technically need to have some credits. So that's it was good. really funny. Um, the bar, the bar is low. I'm yeah. <laughs> They're like, we need you. Because I sing low and they needed yeah. basses. You know, that's oh, always yeah. in demand. Um, and I ended up being music director the next year. So I decided I just kept defer. I deferred admission three years in a row for Berkeley and ended up having to reapply because they shredded my <laughs> file or whatever. <laughs> decided you were a waste of time. Uh, no. <laughs> we have to read this They're again. Like, uh, we totally know how this is going to end. Yeah. They have some weird policy after a certain amount of time. You have to, you know, pay the fee again and go yeah. through the whole process, which I guess makes sense. But um, but during that time, I maybe wrote two songs because I was so invested in this group. Yeah, and it was so amazing, such awesome experience. But great to go back to what I think of as sort of my childhood dream because in my early adulthood, it wasn't my dream anymore. I was doing other things, and then somewhere along my, t- I started writing and arranging for Davisi. So we did some of our originals, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> I got to keep doing this. <laughs> What is it? Uh, so what? What about the uh, that experience of sort of that early writing and arranging? Uh, have you brought with you to your current songwriting process? Well, um, definitely arranging taught me a lot about theory, and I, um, you know, the piano is an an instrument that you have to arrange on. I mean, the thing is, in a way, I wish I played guitar because I could play simpler stuff. And it would sound fancier kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? How like you can't just play like block chords. Whereas on a guitar, it can sound really cool. But on a piano, it sounds very elementary. And so that sort of forced me to start thinking about tensions and arrangements and voicings and all these things um, that, you know, now have become a part of my style. So, yeah, I think that that definitely influenced... um, and I think influenced me going to Berkeley in the first place because I got that experience. And I think probably because of my experience with the VC, the women's group, um, I got a scholarship the second time I applied where I hadn't before. And so it's more motivation to go to school when part of it's paid for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially nowadays, the tuition is just ridiculous. So. Well, we want to talk uh, a little bit more, I think, a lot more, I think, about the business of music as you mm-hmm. are venturing into it. But uh, you want to do another song first? Yeah. yeah. Let's do another okay. song first. Another song. Yeah. Okay. Well, w- while we're on a roll with my originals, yeah. I'll do an uh, originals. <laughs> my new originals is what I mean to say. They're all originals. Um, this Lisa is the Borkish one that... cover band. <laughs> Lisa, yeah. I do a little bit of that. Um, this one I wrote last Monday. And... Um, I actually wrote it for a competition. Um, it was the only... I had sort of started writing this song, and then I found out about this competition. I was like, okay, it's just an excuse to get my button gear and actually finish something, because I have several unfinished songs that just lie there. And <laughs> um, So, yeah. It's called Oblivion, and um, the competition is for a song about um, alcohol and drug awareness sponsored by the counseling department at Berkeley. And um, I wanted to write something that had sort of a positive positive spin on that. I have a lot of songs that are kind of dark, but I'm trying to keep, 
you know, not too that, positive, that but just sort of that like hint of optimism in there. With so many friends And somehow no one to call How did you end up With so many hours in your day And none of them full The smell of coffee wakes you up And you tell yourself you just need to caffeinate Wasted under the sunrise You can't bear to take it straight So many horns are honking Blocking the roads up and down your spine Your head is pounding in from the absence of courage and an overabundance of wine. The sound of the wind, it wakes you up and you wonder where you are. Wishing you could pour it all down the drain and only be left with a For the count, you've got to get out of oblivion. This habit of yours is working so hard to take the to remember what has woken you up every day for the last ten years you only dream when you're sleeping and you never remember those dreams but today you pinch yourself awake suddenly knowing how much is at stake and morning For the count, you've got to get out of oblivion. Morning whispers, darling, you're coming undone. Stand up for the count, you've got to get out of oblivion.
I'm sitting here trying to think, how is she going to put a positive spin on drug addiction? <laughs> but you know what? I feel a little bit happier now than before. Oh, good. Before you started. That's good. great. I mean, I just, I think that um, anything can be overcome, sort of any kind of illness or, I have some depression in my family and, you know, I think that there are just ways to overcome any kind of obstacles. That's the, that's the idealist in me. And I know that, um, you know, this, this song isn't coming from personal experience. I've never had a problem with it, but I've had friends who have, and I've also seen success stories. Um, and I like to write about things. I, I require that I write about things that aren't just about me (laughs) and specifically me and my relationships um, just because, just because you know, there are so many relationship songs out there, and the first right. you know million songs I wrote were, you know, the first eleven songs I wrote actually for, were for the the boy I loved when I was eleven. Oh sure, those um, <laughs> tunes are rich. Gosh, rich fodder. Yeah, and you know, maybe something about just you know being uh, secure in a relationship. There's less drama but I have a couple of cutie little love songs about the guy I'm gonna marry but mm-hmm. you know it's just I feel like I've I if I'm going to relate write a relationship song excuse me it is going to be some I want it to be different in some way like a new take on something or I've written a couple of songs that I put myself in somebody else's relationship shoes and it's from the eye point of view but um it's a good. It's a good less practice and lesson and empathy too to do that. I think so. So I'm curious. Uh, well, like in the in the in the backstory of you know how you got to Berkeley. Like when was it that you actually started taking like playing out uh, seriously? How, how did how did that start? Very not not that long ago. Um, yeah. My very first. Um, you know, besides I've been performing so much, but in my life, but performing my original music was, was a big step. And I didn't really have enough songs to, to start playing out until, um, the end of my first year at Berkeley was when that started. So that was, um, just two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So what has your experience been like with that? I mean, I kind of see like the beginning um, of you know people going out and doing the open mics and things like that as being such a guitar oriented scene. Yeah. And so what, what was what was that like, you know, just, you know, being a pianist, singer, while Especially doing that? Especially at a place like Mississippi Pizza. Mm-hmm. What a lousy piano that is. <laughs> I play it. I do yeah, play it. I was just going to say, I was going to ask if you brought your own. But. No, I know. My whole thing is like, you know, and I'll even sort of say this on the mic. I'm like, you know, it's, I'd rather play a crappy acoustic than an electric. <laughs> and so I do actually, I, you know, I enjoy playing that venue over other places just because there is a piano and it's, you know, it's usually not in tune and it's awkward sort of to play an upright. For some reason, even though the grand is bigger, I can angle it the upright, mm-hmm. just whatever. It's, <laughs> it's not a great angle, but, um, I didn't do a lot of open mics, um, for that reason, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had I just been able to have a guitar on my back and, wander easily from venue to venue. I mean, a lot more people in the world 
would have heard me play if I played guitar. It's just the truth about pianists. If mm -hmm. you play piano and you only write on piano, less people will hear you, whether it's because, you know, you are at a party somewhere and someone picks up a guitar. Or, you know, there's, no, there's not that portability where I can just... Or like I, uh, I'm in a show every summer at the Oregon Country Fair. If I play guitar, I could just busk. And I wouldn't mind doing that there because I know a lot of people and it would be a good opportunity to sell some CDs. Um, and I'm having an awesome time on the weekend either. So it doesn't matter being paid. I would just like to share my music with that crowd. But I can't. I can't, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's inhibiting in, in its own way. But then... You know, you're also unique as a pianist, more unique. Um, so did you just kind of jump right into like, you know, you got your 90 minutes of music together or something and then just started trying to, to get your own full night gigs together? Yeah, my, my very first show was with a band I'd put together in Boston. We rehearsed for a couple months. Uh -huh. It was um, drums, uh, electric bass, which I no longer use. I play with an upright. And um, guitar, actually, which I don't usually play with. Um, and, yeah, we pl I did my own show um, at, a, at a club in Cambridge. And then, and that was sort of my official debut. And then I didn't perform again until I did my West Coast debut later that summer when I was back in Eugene, which is where I grew up. What, tell, tell us about that first show. It was... Um, it almost, it was weird. Something about it was like, it didn't feel like it was the first time I had done it, hmm. if that makes sense. Because uh, I don't remember, I don't remember being nervous. I don't really remember feeling weird about it. Actually, here's something cool that's really weird about me singing my original music and my, and a physical condition that I have. I um, have had seasonal allergies the, since maybe 2004. And um, what'll happen, go figure, as a singer, most people get like um, watery eyes and sneezing. My throat just closes up and I lose the entire top half of my range. So I wow, sang with the Oregon Bach Festival, terrible. the professional chorus one summer, and I, they, I got accepted to sing. It's a really awesome professional gig. And I turned it down because it was so painful to be singing Bach with my voice yeah. in that condition. Sure. Um, but here's what's cool is that that started again um, that spring. I literally could hardly speak earlier that day. And I was so anxious. I was, you know, doing all these weird throat remedies. And I got up there to sing. And I, I sang more freely and probably better than I had really in a long time. Mm -hmm. Because I had been really fatigued from doing a lot of shows, a lot of theater, and, and other kinds of performances, which will wear down my voice, a lot of singing. But when I do my originals, it's so weird. And my now fiancé was there, and he was like, I've never heard you sing like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> So awesome. it's something that just tells me that I'm on the right path, that sure. doing this, if, you know, for nothing else, it seems to heal me. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. And it's happened several other times where I've been, like, totally you know, hello. And then I get up to sing and it's like <laughs> so weird. Uh -huh. Adrenaline does good yeah, things for you. Yeah, yeah huh? the, whatever the woo-woo in me is like, ah. Oh, <laughs> the <laughs> There's a lot of that because I grew up in Eugene. Yeah, you want to make sure you channel your inner woo-woo. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, so what is uh, the, this idea that you can't get out and busk or, or you, you don't get out and busk and you don't get out and, 
and and do the open mics. What does that do to your uh, strategy for the business? Uh, you know, how do you how do you drive kind of your burgeoning promotional engine? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you do to to get the word out? Well, the latest, and this is just as of um, this year when I've made this more of a full time gig and had the time to think about it. Um, in school, I was playing on the side, but it was a side thing, second to education, of course. But now, um, basically, um, I don't fit right in with the jazz scene, and a lot of jazz venues um, will reject me because I'm not strictly jazz. And, of course, the theater scene is different than a singing composer because they're putting on productions, mm-hmm. like shows. Um, but that's basically my my avenue. I'm... Where are their pianos? You know, jazz clubs and theaters and places like that. So um, on the one hand, it maybe means gigging less, um, but I want to be, I want to play the right shows. And I've had a couple people sort of advise me, um, and I agree, not to play, not to play all the same um, venues, um, sort of the more folky rocky venues because I always feel out of place there anyways so it's it just works out better this way um Joe Feds down in Eugene is one of the venues where I really feel like my music complements a venue and the venue complements my music um I like Tony Starlights I was just going to mention Tony Starlight you're playing there with any sort of frequency, or did you you just had a show? Uh, quite a bit of frequency. Um, I started playing there last summer, sort of just um, doing their karaoke and showing up for little showcases. I never, I didn't have my own show until November, and the first two shows that I did there were um, were sh- the first one was a Judy Garland tribute, and the second one was mostly standards. But I included some originals and um, just you know, letting it be known that I'm primarily a performing songwriter and uh, I, I love singing jazz and I love um, doing that kind of a gig as well, but it was nice to be able to sneak them in and then, um, you know, s- strategically <laughs> um, was able to do my own show, mostly doing originals and then a few standards snuck in uh, last month with my trio. So that was great and that sort of paved the way for mo- more shows like that and um, Tony's is a great venue for that because people, there's a piano, and also and people they, they sit go and with listen. with a certain expectation. Yeah. It's like you go to see a show. There's so many other venues in Portland where I'm background music, and I don't think I'm, I don't think my music is very, I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> say this, but I don't think my music is very good background music, and I even mean that as an insult to myself, just in that, like, it's, if you just tune in and out of it, I, I don't think my music missed, sounds sort very of good. Yeah, I think that people will be like, what on earth is this? Um, and that's that's okay with me. You know, it does mean fewer gigs, and I have to be a little more selective about the venues. But What other kind of piano places have you found around the region? I mean, I've found some places with pianos, haven't played shows there, is, there yet. Mostly it's jazz clubs, and that's kind of the the strategy I'm using is is trying to book myself as a jazz singer and then, you know, and and they'll let me sing a couple of originals and then maybe ultimately when I have more of a name. I'm new to Portland, so not a lot of people want to book me, period, because I'm new and the economy's bad and my following is 
not as big as some other they artists. They need to go with the uh, with the known issues. Yeah, that's I mean that's just point. that's the brutal. So the economy uh, for the economy, I, it's just something I hadn't thought of. I mean, you think of the sort of struggling singer songwriter, singer composer, mm-hmm. you know, trying to kickstart a career. It's going to be hard, but the economy has sort of uh, we've got some geographic homogeneity going on here, like mm-hmm. people who are booking booking only the known acts because yeah. Yeah, or not even necessarily known, but it's like, you know, there are groups that maybe they're not really popular, but they have like a huge group of people that they can bring to a sure, show. Sure. Um, I there's a new um, a new venue or bar. They're they're turning themselves into a music venue in Northeast that I'm playing a couple shows in this month, and so that will be kind of an interesting experience. Is like using my music to help establish both the um reputation and sort of ambiance of a new place which I'm really looking forward to because I I do feel like a lot of venues in Portland definitely have their their thing you know and their kind of groups that they book and so it makes it hard to get an in especially me being so weird and different and (laughs) I mean people don't know how to describe me and so that that makes it tricky. I'm I'm working I'm working on on coming up with a very succinct um, marketing slogan for right. my music. But with all the different influences that come in there, it's yeah. difficult. Right it's... now, I'm working with. Tell me what you think. I'm working with right. 21st century jazz folk under 42nd Street Spotlight. Ooh, I like that. Sort of covers a lot. Yeah, that's that's a very broad spectrum. I know my friends are like, "That's way too complicated." You you really have to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish it was as easy as you know. Someone like Justin Jude, I think he he calls himself eclecticana. Yeah, oh, interesting. Which I think is so cool when you can just lump it in one word. So I was like, "How about Jazzare?" But when you see it written, it looks like Jazzaret. Oh. So, <laughs> anyways, that's 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 my struggle. Well, uh, why don't we why don't we do another totally indescribable song? <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Um, I wrote this one two years ago, so this is a little bit older. Um, and maybe I'll talk after the song about why it's suddenly more meaningful. TV screen, his body aches, 
He's waiting on a prayer, waiting to hope it's no longer there. He's waiting. Oh, does he dare let the sun shed light on another day of one tube? Attach, remove two bites of hospital food, three special words from the woman by his one tumor here, two times the fear, three words for my father to now is it yeah yeah I um I wrote it this was one of those um sometimes songs take a really long time to write and recently I've, I've not had any of those days of brilliance where I just pump something out um this was like an hour of just it was just a song an hour later the song was there and I don't think I ever even made any revisions um it just Sometimes my writing is a spiritual experience, and this was one of those times. Where does that one come from? It c comes from um, a, a need to, to heal myself and my family during a really rough time. Um, my, my dad had cancer about t maybe 12 years ago now and was, was doing really well. Um, he had kidney cancer and the kidney was removed and he was fine. And then, um, just a major shock. He had a routine scan. Um, this was two years ago in 2006 and 2006, 2007. <laughs> um, and the tumor was back and it was in this really scary place near his heart and his, one of his lungs. And I was in, in the midst of school and I just, I stopped going to classes, and this one day I just, I locked myself up in a practice room at Berkeley, and I wrote that song, and the next, that night, I s recorded it and sent it to my family, and, um, and then he was, he was good, like a year later, and then this past December, another routine scan, and oops, the tumor's back, and it's bigger than it was before, and mm. we'd all kind of felt like he'd made it through these two times, and it was... Yeah. Anyways, it's just it's weird how you'll write a song and what inspired the writing of it goes away and so you just sort of perform it out of routine and that's what was happening and the first time I performed it since the cancer's been back was for the songwriting competition actually in February. 
And it was the first time I had performed it, maybe from having, you know, be round two with it, that I, I hardly made it through. I mean, usually it's just like I'm singing and I'm singing, so I'm not going to break into tears. But this was a different kind of experience. Um, yeah. You, uh, you won that. I did. Competition. Yeah. Yes. Songwriter of the year for 2009, 2008. I don't really know. Um, that's a big honor. I mean, I know that's one of the, the visible awards. I mean, from my perspective, it seems like, you know, that it's, I've, you know, heard about it the last few years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I hadn't even really heard of the Portland Songwriters Association obviously until I lived here and then I found out soon after I became a member and I found out about the competition and competed in the first round in September. And we didn't hear back about the finalists until like December or January because um, they waited until all the first round competitions had happened. I found out I was in the finals. And I just assumed that was an interesting night too because, you know, Artichoke... Um, music center is also it's a folk place and I love the people there and I love that they've welcomed me with open arms but it is another place where I, I do feel kind of like the black sheep and that night I felt very much like the black sheep because I was the only person who played piano and they have acoustic there that that I played and um, only one of three women so I I was not at all expecting to win. I had just, I was like, I'm the only one doing this kind of thing. There's, I'm just, that automatically eliminates me is what I told myself. So they had us all stand up in front and then they announced the winner. And it was literally one of those, what? It's <laughs> 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 like in shock for a really long time. But yeah, it is an incredible honor mm-hmm. and um, a, a really great organization too. I really, I, I like to support them and, um, in everything that they're doing, they're a nonprofit, and so mm-hmm. that's why I initially joined. Is they have, um, you know, like songwriting critique sessions and things like that, where you can feel like you're a part of the songwriting community, which is great. Um, we are. I feel like we could talk all night. Uh, we're we're getting here to the end. Where can people find uh, more about you and um, just how nice you are? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, I have a website, um, which is... You're into the modern era. Yes, mm. I'm, I'm hip like that. This is the one way this in which is I'm it, hip. This is it, right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's and my last name is just exactly how it sounds. Kind of like a fork. Kind of like fork-ish. a fork. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm on MySpace... Because there are no other Lisa Forkishes, you just you, you get anything all the great slash, domains. Yeah, yeah, I mean LisaForkish.com, MySpace.com slash Lisa Forkish, SonicBids.com slash Lisa Forkish, CDBaby.com slash Lisa Forkish is where you can buy my CD, and that last one is actually on the CD. It's called Between You and Me, and I released it last February. So yeah, yeah, I'm also on iTunes. Good place to be. Yeah. Another hip place. Another hip place. That's where we yep. like sending people to iTunes. Yeah. Um, well, we we also have uh, announcements, right? Yes, we do. Go we right do. ahead. <laughs> You're totally supposed to do this. That That's was a handoff. <laughs> that was a handoff. Right? Yeah. Here Don't you go. We, I caught the handoff. I volleyed it back. That was a fumble. That's what that was. 
Oh. We have a, uh, you know, we've, we, I'll tell you, this is uh, uh, just uh, today. I got an email from a listener, uh, Tyler. Uh, I, Tyler's a good guy. And he says, I'm not really hip on the whole iTunes thing. So I listen to the show on the website and you keep talking about where you can download these tracks, the individual tracks, but I don't do that. How do I get the tracks? Well, we've decided to, uh, to remedy that. Because uh, he doesn't do Facebook either. He says he's not Facebooky. Oh. <laughs> Facebooky. Yeah, which Good I word. think is awesome. Uh, so we have started, uh, right, thanks to Kurt's ingenuity, we are, we are now an official venue at Reverb Nation for which we are only using them for their e- free email newsletter. Uh, so you can now subscribe to the Acoustic Conversations email newsletter uh, from our website. And if you do that, you join the ranks of the privileged few Hopefully, soon to be privileged many, currently privileged four, (laughs) (laughs) who will get an email every week when we, or every time we have a new show, every two weeks or so, with the direct real links to each individual CD quality track. That's good news, right? That is excellent. Free music, and it's good music too. Mm -hmm, Absolutely, we don't give away crap on this show, (laughs) no, sir. In addition, yes, you can. Follow us on Twitter. We are AC Convo at Twitter. And as Pete mentioned, we also have our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoy this, we encourage you to go to iTunes and give us a positive review. It'll help us out. We're scratching your ears. You scratch our back. Totally derailed. That was not a good That didn't start in a mixed metaphor. It's like that was gonna we're gonna work on that next time. That your heart was totally in your mouth on that. Uh, I if you don't uh, a little addendum, uh, if you don't like the show, uh, we we don't want to hear about that on iTunes. Only only the good good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Are you allowed to ask that if you really want user feedback? Oh, positive user feedback. Po- positive user feedback. <laughs> gratefully it. accepted here. You have to here. specify. Yeah. Positive. Very, <laughs> very specific. Uh, and I think there was one more thing. Oh, that we do still have the Facebook group. That's correct. I'm a member. Yeah, you are a member. Mm-hmm. We love that. Oh, I love being a member. It's nice, right? The va- What are the benefits of membership, Lisa Forkish? Uh, well, I, th- I know what's going on. I'm in the know. And so when someone's on the show or when there's a new update... There it is. It's right before my eyes. And it makes you more hip. And it makes you more hip. I am Facebooky and I am Acoustic Conversations-y. You know, I started getting an email from a, a client of mine who, who started signing her emails. Uh, May all your conversations be acoustic. <gasps> is that cool? Yeah. That should be your slogan. You should steal it from we her. We should totally do that. Thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Mary in uh, in Boulder. I hope you're enjoying your run this morning. <laughs> she, I don't know who who does this. You listen to a, a talk show on a morning run, feels like you're not getting a lot of a uh, lot of sort of that juice going. But okay, <laughs> whatever, whatever floats you. your boat. I hope you're uh, enjoying your run this morning. You just Mary. got a personalized shout out there from the go. show, and not not only that, our our new uh, Tyler Memorial email news list on uh, newsletter. So we've got two. No. Mm-hmm. And if you would like a personal shout out to the show, then feel free to drop us an email. Yeah, because we don't get a lot. <laughs> They'll say whatever you, will you say want. say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, so that's, I think that's all the, uh, all the self-promotion we have uh, this week. Uh, Lisa, our deepest thanks for, for Thank you so us. much for having me. This uh, has been 
a pleasure. It's a real treat uh, yeah. to have you here. And uh, Kurt, uh, it's good to see you again. A pleasure as always. <laughs> uh, on behalf of the, the lovely Kurt Sifford, I am Pete Wright. This has been... Uh, uh, We're back to lovely again. Yeah. Acoustic Conversations. I- Thank you, everybody. Mm-hmm.